If you want to grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 12, uh, the passage that Josh just read to us, we're in week four of our series on Jesus the King. And what I want you to do now is to think of your favourite detective. I don't know if you've got a, a favourite. I've discovered recently, having small children, that Noddy is now a detective. I'm not sure if that was in the original Eden, Enid Blyton or not. But maybe it's Sherlock, maybe Kojak, Poirot, Nancy Drew maybe. And I want you to put on whatever regalia your favourite detective has, whether it's the, the cap, whether it's you know, Dr Watson alongside you. Get out your magnifying glass as we jump into Matthew chapter 12, because we've got a puzzle to solve, several puzzles really. And behind all of them is this question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus really? And what do I mean by that? I mean this is that we discover who real people are when the tough gets going. If somebody tells me that they are not afraid of the dark, it's one thing to tell me that in the middle of the day when the sun is shining down to say, I'm not afraid of the dark. Great. But if somebody tells me that in the middle of a power cut when there's a storm overhead and things are pitch black, you can't see your hand in front of your face and somebody says, I'm not afraid of the dark. I believe them a little bit more. And here's where we left Jesus last week. Chapter, uh, chapter 12 of Matthew's Gospel, verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. That's where we find Jesus this afternoon. Jesus had just healed a man. And the response of the religious leaders was to go out and plot how they might kill him. Jesus, who are you when the pressure is on? And the verses that Josh has just read to us give us three puzzles. Look at verse 15. Aware of this, aware that the Pharisees were plotting to kill him, Jesus withdrew from that place. And our first puzzle is this. Why does Jesus withdraw? There might be an obvious answer. But there might be more behind that. That's our first puzzle. And then, despite his withdrawing, a large crowd follows him. And we read, and he healed all who were ill. Our second puzzle is this. Why does Jesus heal all these people if he's trying to get out of the way? If he's left the previous place because of healing... Why is he now healing all these people? And then our third puzzle, verse 16, he warned them not to tell others about him. Why does Jesus warn them not to tell others about him? And remember the question behind the puzzles, who is Jesus really? So let's dive in. There are three puzzles. Let's dive into our prophecy. So in the midst of our investigations, with our flat caps on, we find that somebody has sent us a parchment, an ancient parchment that's hundreds of years old, and on it is written a prophecy. It's been written by a man called Isaiah. You can find it in the Old Testament. And it's about a man called the servant. And this parchment is going to give us the clues to solve our puzzles. 
So let's dig into it. What's written on this parchment? Well, let's ask first, who's talking? Who says, here is my servant? Who is the one who sends and chooses, whose spirit will come upon the servant? It is God. Not just any God, but the God of the Old Testament. The Lord, if you've got a Bible, capital L-O-R-D. The God who has bound himself to a people, a specific people, a family. The God of Israel. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The God who says, I am who I am. The unchanging God. The God who has saved this people and has provided for them. Who rules over them, who loves them and has judged them when they have gone astray. This God is speaking. And he tells us in three broad categories about his servant. And here are three categories. The mission of the servant, the method of the servant, and the mercy of the servant. So look down again at verse 18. God says this. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Who is he? He is God's servant. Somebody whose loyalty and whose efforts are geared towards somebody else. Towards God. He is somebody who is chosen by God. Set apart for a specific task. But more than that, somebody who is loved by God. The one I love in whom I delight. This is not a hired hand. Not somebody who's just useful because of a particular gift set. But this is somebody who God has a relationship with. Who who God knows and takes delight in. And God says, I will put my spirit on him. God's power is upon and in this person. And God's will, God's heart, God's desire is expressed fully and rightly through this servant. This servant has a single focus, which is God's focus. And he is spirit-filled. This servant is better equipped than Batman. That's a little bit of a rough reading of that verse. But you know what I mean? When God says this, and he says, my spirit will be upon him, our mind goes back to the Old Testament about when God's spirit comes upon men and women, and they do remarkable things. And what will this servant do? He will proclaim justice to the nations. The original quote comes from Isaiah 42. And the term, the nations there, has us looking around at the places and people around Israel geographically. Those who Israel has fought with and against. Those who have conquered God's people and God's nation. 
those people who have set themselves against God, those people who have been humbled by God. And when we hear that this servant will proclaim a message of justice to these nations, it sounds like a message of judgment. But it's more than that. This servant will shout out to all people, God is going to make things right. God is going to bring it about so that the world that we live in will be a place where truly good will be rewarded and evil will be punished. Blurred lines will be made clear. Wrongs will be righted. Light will shine in this dark world. And this servant will proclaim it to all. As we read about this servant... His mission is to say God sees this world and he sees us and God will act. And ultimately everybody will recognise that justice will rule and reign in this world in a way that we have not yet experienced. This is the mission of God's servant. And as we read Matthew, some of this is going to be ringing bells if we're familiar with what Matthew's already said. Because... Because God's already told us about somebody that he loves and in whom he delights. It's the man who was baptised by John the Baptist. And whose God's spirit came down upon him like a dove. And God said, this is my son whom I love. This is Jesus. And this is his mission. But notice secondly then. The method. Look down again at verse 19. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. As the servant comes upon his mission, this is not like a political campaign. People are not going to be sticking posters in their front front yard saying, I'm voting for the servant. I'm voting for Jesus. There are no billboards. There are no adverts. There's no PR campaign. We better not tell people about this area of his life or let's let him speak up loudly on this particular issue. No. He is quiet. He is gentle. He is meek. What does that mean? It's not that Jesus is weak. It's not that he's some sort of introvert who's just not going to put himself out there because he's just a bit shy. Jesus and the servant shows meekness. Meekness is power under control. This servant, when he comes, and as he has now come, will not be underpowered, but will have no desire to make people think that he's something that he's not. There will be no false promises. There is utter control and an utter disregard for what anybody might say of him or any suggestion that people might think, well, he's too weak. Of course, this is ahead of time, a description of what Jesus will be like when he is arrested and when he is tried in front of the the religious rulers of the day 
And he'll stand before them and he'll say nothing to defend himself. When he's in front of Herod or Pilate. Jesus has got nothing to prove to anyone. No inflated sense of ego. He's not trying to fill an inward void with outward approval. And I don't need to mention any names for us to think of of people we know that are exactly like that. People who want platform. And maybe I don't need to mention any names because that's what we're like. We are people sometimes who are trying to fill an inward void with outward approval. But not the servant, not Jesus. That's not his method. But notice thirdly then, the mercy of the servant. Look down again at verse 20. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. The servant is gentle. In undertaking his mission, the immensity of his task does not lead to lesser concern for smaller things or smaller people. And Isaiah gives us, and God gives us, two pictures. A bruised reed. He's thinking of reeds by the waterside. That are, are, are there just on the edge of the water. And he, he's imagining one that's been damaged. Maybe somebody stood on it or, 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 or it's been crushed under something else. And it's, it's barely hanging on. But when the servant comes past, that limp bruised broken reed that's on its last sinews it'll be okay or or the smoldering wick think of a little candle and a little a little tiny little bit of flame and it looks as though it's on its last legs that it would only need the slightest breath of wind to be gone But the servant's actions will not snuff out a smouldering wick. He is careful and measured and merciful. For what else can these pictures be representing but, but people? The servant is merciful to those that he could crush. He's aware of them. He knows them. He cares for them. He protects them. The mission, the method, the mercy of the servant of Jesus himself. Let me offer you this sum up. The servant of God is chosen, loved, equipped, commissioned, meek, gentle, patient. And he's the hope of the nations. Jesus is chosen Loved, equipped, commissioned, meek, gentle, patient, and he is the hope of the nations. That's what this parchment, this prophecy tells us. And so we're going to take that back now and go back to our original questions. What is the solution to our puzzle? And what does it mean for us? First question, why does Jesus withdraw? When he know, he seemingly knows, aware of this, that the Pharisees are plotting how they might kill him, 
Why is it that Jesus withdraws? The obvious answer is he's afraid. He doesn't want to die. But what Isaiah tells us is that Jesus has a mission. And he is committed to that mission. To proclaiming justice to the nations. And bringing about the victory of justice for the nations. He is committed to God's plan of salvation. To provide a victory so complete, so final. That all the nations and all the people in all the world can put their trust in Jesus and know true justice. A mission to bring about the righting of every wrong. And this won't happen yet. The victory that Jesus will win will not come about now. He's not scared of the Pharisees. We heard last week Jesus' interaction with them. We'll hear next week of further interactions with them. He can outsmart them. He can out-religious them. He knows the law that they teach better than they do. He knows it and he is the fulfilment of it. But he won't defeat them like that. And he could overpower them, but he chooses not to. Jesus knows that the mission will be completed ultimately because he will allow himself to be put to death. But not yet. And that's not just because we're only in chapter 12 of Matthew and there's still 16 chapters to go. Although that gives us a clue. Jesus is not yet done laying the foundations for what needs to be there before he goes to the cross. He has not yet finished his proclaiming, his preaching, his teaching. He's not yet at the point where people truly understand who he is. We're four chapters away from Peter finally getting it and recognising that Jesus is God's chosen, appointed king. But Jesus withdraws because he's on mission. The mission that God has sent him. And because he's on it, he doesn't need to fight every battle. To prove himself to all people. He can step back and wait. He has got nothing to prove. And I think there's something in there for us as Christians to recognise our own role. What God calls us to and what God doesn't call us to. We do not need to involve ourselves in every potential conflict to show that we are right. We simply need to know God's mission for us. To love him and to do good. And people might say, oh, you're afraid. Oh, you're weak. doesn't matter. There is a single-mindedness of Jesus shown here. But it does bring us to our second question. <laughs> Why does Jesus heal all these people if he's trying to stay quiet? If, it's, you know, if he's trying to avoid the conflict for now? 
Well, the answer here is that the heart of Jesus is in no way in conflict with the mission of Jesus. As the crowds follow him and they bring, they bring their weak and their sick, their ill and their broken. Jesus doesn't see these people as speed bumps, as things to, to get out of the way because of the big task that he's got. These are the people whom Jesus came to save. These are the people that Jesus loves. Again, perhaps we can think of examples of people who, have, they've, have as they have become more successful and more powerful, have become less available and less friendly. People become a, a commodity to be used by them and discarded when their usefulness is spent. And sadly, that can be true not just in other people, but that can be true in us. It can be true in the church. But never, never with Jesus. Jesus is on mission, but Jesus is on mission for people. And we, maybe some of us especially need to hear this. That we don't become too broken for Jesus. We don't become too weak, too insignificant for Jesus. Jesus is always willing to heal, to restore, to love, to show mercy. Jesus is gentle. And he is gentle in his heart towards us. And so we could return back to chapter 11. And hear again the words of Jesus. Come to me all you who are weary and burdened. And even as we see the, the mission of Jesus in all of its magnitude. We see here Jesus doesn't stop ever stop caring for those who are in need of his love and his healing and his restoration. As a church, we must not put performance ahead of people. There should be an echo or an imaging in our church of Jesus' heart here, his love for people. Third question. Why doesn't Jesus want others to know about him? If Jesus loves people this much, and he does, why does he tell them, don't tell anybody about me? Well, Jesus is not starting a business here. He's not desperate at this point in time for people to come in so he can make it to next week. Also, Jesus knows that people's physical needs is not the ultimate goal of his mission. Jesus is willing, he has shown, to heal the sick, but he knows that people don't yet understand the full magnitude of his mission. And he knows that as people go out and say, Jesus healed me, that the crowds will come. And Jesus is just putting a little ice on it here. Because because as we said, the foundations are not yet laid. People don't yet fully understand 
what Jesus has come to do. And so Jesus does want people to know him and he just does want people to hear about him. And that's why this quotation ends with the nations of the earth, all peoples, putting their hope in him. And we can't miss that. But again, this comes back to the method. Jesus is not raising a crowd to to make himself look good. He is concerned at a deeper level than just physical illness, though he does care about that. We've seen it. Jesus is establishing his work so that people's deepest need, their sin, can be dealt with. Jesus won't sacrifice certainty for celebrity. He will not sacrifice fullness for fame. Because, verse, end of verse 20, so he says, A bruised reed he will not break, a smouldering wick he will not snuff out, till, until, there's something coming, and what is it? Till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name the nations will put their hope. This is where we need to finish. Jesus wins the end of this story is not here in matthew chapter 12 the end of this story is a victory where the people whom jesus has mercy on will see that there is full healing full restoration because jesus will die he will be put to death but he will not be done it will not happen Because other people want him to. It will happen because he will lay his life down as a sacrifice for the weak. For the sinful. For the broken so that they might have life. In his name the nations will put their hope. Who is Jesus? When the pressure comes on. Jesus is the servant who is true to his mission. He does not flee from it. He does not hastily try and change expectations. Well I know that I said I was going to do this. But actually well, maybe we'll just settle for this over here. Jesus is the one whose eyes are set on the ultimate victory. Who will sacrifice himself. For that justice. In the greatest act of injustice. The innocent son of God will die in the place of sinners. But he will do it willingly so that they might have his life. His righteousness. His healing. His relationship with the father. So that it might be said of sinful people who are far from God. God would say of them, this is the one I love in whom I delight. People like me, people like you, people like, well, who knows? Because the victory is not yet, whilst it is won at the cross, it has not yet been fully realised. There are still more people from the nations who will put their hope in Jesus, even today.
So let us hold firmly to him in our weakness, knowing that the victory is secured and that we ourselves, as we put our hope in him, are some of the very fulfillment of these words that Isaiah spoke thousands of years ago. There will come a time when every eye will see the victory that Jesus has won. Justice for every person in every land across the whole world, across all time and history. People will see that God is right and just and Jesus is the king. And some will delight in that fact. And some will despair. But as we wait, we do so hopefully because Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And Jesus has mercy on those who are weak, continually, even today. So let us continue to put our hope in him. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the, the mission of Jesus. That the Son of God would come into this world, would enter it and would suffer, Lord, the very people he has made plotting to kill him. And yet he suffers it because his eyes were set on the joy set before him. A people saved and healed, not just from physical illness, but from sin from hearts that are set against you, saved from a right and just punishment of hell, saved so that we might be called those in whom God has delight, that we might be children of God. Father, thank you for Jesus. Lord, even today, would you turn our eyes again to him and renew our hope and let us worship him now even as we sing these words of this song, as we listen to them, Father, let our hearts be lifted. Let them acknowledge that this is true. That the one who is meek is the one who reigns. Father, thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. <laughs>